Hello and welcome to another episode of the Star Wars Saga Cast. My name is John Wilson and this is episode 23 of the show, where I'll be taking a look at the Star Wars comic strips that were published in Pizzazz, issue number 13, and Star Wars, issue number 19. Before we do that, though, just a couple of points. One minor, one more significant. The minor point is that over in Star Wars Weekly, being published in the UK, this month, that comic reaches issue number 38. Remember, I've mentioned before that every two issues of Star Wars Weekly work together to reprint one issue of the monthly Star Wars comic from the States. And so they have been very slowly catching up to our progress. And at the end of this month, they are caught up. Star Wars Weekly 38 publishes the second half of Star Wars 19 just one day after that comic hit stands in the U.S. And so next month, they might have to start getting creative. And we'll talk about that more when we get to next episode, because this is October of 1978. Next episode, we'll be talking about November of 1978. And we're actually going to be taking two episodes to talk about November, because there was a particular production that was released during that month. More about that at the end of this episode. The other point that I want to discuss is that around about this time of year, in 1978, there was some sort of Star Wars gathering, Star Wars fan assembly in Berkeley, California, and one of the guests of honor was one David Prowse. Now, those of you who don't know your Star Wars actor names, David Prowse was the tall Scottish man in the suit of Darth Vader armor. You never heard his voice because his lilting Scottish accent was replaced by the basso rumblings of James Earl Jones. But David Prowse was on set in every single Star Wars scene, and he had to know the lines because he had to interact with the other actors. Well, he was on stage at this event in Berkeley, California in late 1978, where he announced to the crowds that shooting for a sequel Star Wars 2 would begin in February. February 1979 saw the beginning of production of Star Wars 2. But he said it would not be released until May of 1980, which turned all the cheers in the crowd to groans. So you've got two years to wait. But right after that will be Star Wars 3, Prowse said, and that gave more cheers. And here's the little tidbit that I find interesting. He offered a glimpse of a possible plot for the second sequel, the third Star Wars film. Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker, the young hero in the first film played by Mark Hamill, are hooked up in a do-or-die lightsaber duel when Luke learns that Darth is, in fact, his long-lost father. Father can't kill son, son can't kill father, so they live again to star in Star Wars 4. Okay, so let's make sure we have all of our facts straight here. Empire Strikes Back comes out in summer of 1980. That is still nearly two years away. And here, the twist at the end of that film is revealed by this Darth Vader actor, But he says it's going to be revealed at the end of the third film. I think this is all very, very interesting. And I've looked at various coverages of this particular event to see how they might interpret it. I know one site said that he thought David Prowse was just making up crap to sound good in front of the audience. 
that's entirely possible. I don't know the man. I don't know if he's liable to do that sort of thing. Who knows? But let's just say that he thought he was telling the truth that in the end of star Wars three, he would expect that it would be revealed that Darth Vader would be Luke's father. Okay. That idea does go along with the more well-documented fact that the Empire Strikes Back shooting script has David Prowse telling Luke Skywalker that Obi-Wan killed his father. If you don't know your Empire Strikes Back tidbits, that's what happened. Whenever he says, no, I am your father, Luke Skywalker, Mark Hamill, is the only one in front of the camera who knows what Darth Vader is actually saying. The actor David Prowse was given false lines, and James Earl Jones dubbed in the correct lines later. So it could be that Prowse knew this reveal was coming. It could be that he didn't realize it would be at the end of The Empire Strikes Back. It could be that his information was deliberately false. Or it could be that Lucas changed things as he went along, as all longtime Star Wars fans know that George Lucas is prone to do. In any case, I found it vastly interesting that some people already had the notion, way back here in the fall of 1978, that Darth Vader was, in fact, Luke Skywalker's father. Now, the people who are writing the comics, yeah, they don't know, <laughs> because we're going to meet Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker's father as two separate beings later in the Marvel Comics run, but that's a discussion for another episode. Speaking of comics, now that we've done our little information catch-up, let's see what's going on in the world of Star Wars today. I have Pizzazz number 13 in front of me, and the cover says, Marvel Comics neurotically presents Pizzazz. We proudly announce the man of the year, Hulk. And on the cover is a classic image of the TV Incredible Hulk with David Banner, not Bruce Banner, David Banner, with the whitish, greenish contacts on his eyes. Um, their faces are sort of overlapped with each other. It's an excellent image. It's an excellent cover. It's not the half and half exactly split image they show at the end of the opening credits, but it sort of goes along those lines. If you have never watched the 1970s Incredible Hulk TV show, I strongly encourage you to do so. Yes, it is very 70s, but it really does hold up as a 1970s show. And the mythology that gets woven over the course of the series is pretty amazing. That first episode, the pilot episode, has an opening act that will just kill you. I mean, like the opening part of Up kind of kill you. It's really, really hard to watch in the same way that Up is. And then you go through the whole Hulk thing. Um, definitely recommend it if you haven't seen it. But this is not the Incredible Hulk saga cast. This is the Star Wars saga cast. So let's see what else is going on here. Flipping through the pages. <laughs> Got pictures of Hulk with all of his naked chest goodness. We even have a uh, hypnotism lesson from Doctor Strange. I imagine that's probably worth less than the paper it's printed on. A picture of the Mona Lisa. Why is this woman smiling? You'd smile too if you were reading America's zaniest humor magazine. Uh, Marvel's other magazine publishing endeavor around this time was Crazy, which I don't think did very well, but I could be wrong. And finally, we come towards the back of the magazine to Star Wars, continuing the adventures of characters from the science fantasy film by George Lucas, released by 20th Century Fox. 
Archie Goodwin continues to be our writer. Walt Simonson and Klaus Jansen continue to be our artists, with Jim Novak as letterer and Marie Severin as colorist. It's the usual suspects in full effect. The planet is Acuria 2. And this is its polar region. The machine roaring down one of its great ice canyons is the War Sled. The sled is a mobile fortress used by local rebels, whom Princess Leia and Luke are contacting on behalf of the Rebel Alliance. But there are complications. And this episode is entitled Death Trap. Now, if you remember from last episode, the complications are that the rebels that Luke and Leia have contacted on the war sled are not actually the people they think they are. They are Imperial imposters who have captured or tried to capture the actual rebels with only their leader, Colonel Odan escaping. So this man here who's pretending to be Colonel Odan is actually some Imperial leader. When we last saw Luke and Leia, Leia and the false Colonel Odan were getting into discussions about how the rebels on Acuria two were going to fit into the larger plans of the rebellion at this same kind of point in the conversation, it seems to be the same sort of place. Luke interrupts, excuse me, Colonel Odan. I think you're needed on the bridge. And so the commander leaves and Luke points out blaster burns on the side of the wall. A battle's been fought here, Luke. I noticed when we came aboard, but hope to stall until we could plan something. Leia knows that this guy is an imposter because he never used established recognition codes. I suspect his shooting down at the TIE fighter and rescuing us from the snow demons was supposed to make us forget such formalities. And that's when the game is up. The false Colonel Odan comes back in with several guards behind him. Blasters leveled at our heroes. You're in the hands of the Empire, Skywalker. And since you've both seen through our elaborate little ruse to trick information from you, we'll have to fall back on less subtle tactics. So Skywalker gets hauled off to the bridge and they get ready to abandon the war sled. We skipped over to the real Colonel Odan with his snow demons and R2-D2 and C-3PO trying to get a power ski up and running. It's a vehicle they can use to try to catch up to the war sled. But the assistance droid, the T3 unit, has caught one laser bolt too many, and now the ship is not flyable. R2-D2 volunteers to take his place, and against Colonel Odan's better judgment, he agrees. They don't really have much other choice. And back at the Ice Canyon, Luke Skywalker has been tied to a chair in the war sled, and the false Colonel Odan sets the ignition so that the machine starts barreling down the canyon at the end of which is the Great Geyser Sea. And our final panel shows the war sled plummeting off of an ice cliff toward boiling orangish water down below. Next issue, Snow Fury. You know, it's one of the rules of storytelling that you try not to have your characters know less than your readers do. If your reader... If, if you're writing a story and you reveal some hidden piece of information to the reader, then really at least one character should know this as well and should be acting upon it. So the fact that we found out as a cliffhanger reveal last issue that the people with Luke and Leia were false and the fact that Luke and Leia discovered that this issue, that's good pacing. That's good storytelling. I'm happy with that. I'm happy with the way this part of the story is going. I don't know if that's Archie Goodwin that's made me so happy lately or if it's the art from Walt Simonson and 
Klaus Janssen, which also, by the way, looks really solid. Either way, the pizzazz strip I'm definitely enjoying as we wind towards the end of its run. And now our main event, Adventures. Beyond the greatest space fantasy film of all, Star Wars, number 19. Trapped on a man-made wheel of death, the Star Warriors face the ultimate gamble. We have a great concept cover of the wheel, the giant space station floating in space, and little space heads floating around it of Luke and C-3PO on the top part, and Leia, Han, and Chewbacca on the bottom part. There are some spaceships floating around the outside of the wheel, but in the center of the wheel, in the hub, where there was this like vertical sort of establishment going on, there's a large, giant, red human skull. The Wheel of Death makes me smile. Long ago, in a galaxy far, far away, there exists a state of cosmic civil war. A brave alliance of underground freedom fighters has challenged the tyranny and oppression of the awesome Galactic Empire. This is their story. Stan Lee presents Star Wars, the greatest space fantasy of all, continuing the saga, begun in the film by George Lucas, released by 20th Century Fox. Our credits are Archie Goodwin, writer-editor. He's just basically writing all the Star Wars stories these days. Carmine Infantino continues to be our regular artist with Bob Viacek helping out this time. Irv W. is the letterer. And Gaff did the colors with Jim Shooter, the consulting editor. I have no idea who those two names are short for. I'm certain that Irv W. is not Irving Forbush, but beyond that, I really don't know. This story is called The Ultimate gamble and we open basically on the same scene that was the cover of last month's issue with c-3po cradling the prone body of luke skywalker in his arms as he is menaced by several stormtroopers and r2d2 is in the background he's trying to tap into the main computer system to locate the hospital facilities for master luke but c-3po tells him to cut it out because we're already doomed if i could just have like a dollar for every time C-3PO says doomed in the Star Wars saga, I could probably pay for, like, my own C-3PO. I mean, seriously, he is always declaring the doomedness of him and his cohort. This is the wheel, a man-made space station. And here, in one of its lower-level access corridors, a race from its docking base to escape pursuing stormtroopers is about to end but not in the way expected by the Imperial troops as their fingers tighten on their blaster triggers and a barrier comes down right at that instant between them and the droids and being a blast shielding barrier, it causes their bolts to ricochet and hit the stormtroopers with their own blasts, which is great. Awesome. That's um, <laughs> and the interchange between R2 and C-3PO is great. That's amazing, R2. What an incredible stroke of luck for us. R2 knows this wasn't luck, and he has some words to say for 3PO. Dude, a bree, wheat. You made that happen by tampering with the wall circuitry? Well, I don't think that's any excuse for name-calling. After all, you still didn't fulfill our primary task of locating the bree-poop. You learned where the hospital is, too. How can one thermocapsuary de-housing sister be so intolerable? <laughs> Which is great, because Z3PO was just telling him not to worry about the stupid hospital. And now he's like, yeah, well, you did all that, but you still didn't figure out the hospital. 
So that's awesome. I was listening to one of my back episodes today. Whenever an episode drops, I always try to listen to it to make sure there are no problems. And today I was driving through the the length of the shaft of Florida and playing the Star Wars saga cast over the speakers. And my five-year-old boy is listening. And there was a similar scene where I was describing an altercation between 3PO and R2. And Keenan says, Dad, Dad. So I pause the show and he says, don't you know that C-3PO and R2-D2 are not friends? And I was just like, yeah, you know, you're right. Obviously, 3PO does have some affection for the little guy, but but most of the time, 3PO is just a dick, like 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 a golden rodded, a golden rod that we'll just start with. Stop with that. Yeah, he's just evil, but that's fine. That's why we love him. All of this has been detected by the master of the station, Senator Grayshade, more particularly by his assistant droid, the Mastercom, who reports to the senator that the two droids have outwitted the stormtroopers while carrying the young rebel. One of them actually had the audacity to tap into my system. Such initiative and devotion seems most unusual, sir. Senator Grayshade has no patience or interest for the droids and their boy, but rather he wants to know more about Leia Organa. That triggers a scene change to the princess and her companion, Han Solo. Remind me to compliment you on your choice of sanctuaries, Mr. Solo, if we get out of this alive. It seemed like a good idea at the time, your royalness. And to explain why it seemed like a good idea at the time, we go through most of a page of flashbacks over the events of the last issue. And we are reminded that the wheel is normally not bothered by Imperials. It's sort of outside of their influence. And so he thought it'd be a hands-off situation. But not so much. Whatever they're really up to, our being dead plays too important a part to suit me. Leia's and Han's efforts to survive the attack by the stormtroopers are aided by the intervention of wheel security officers who tell the stormtrooper to leave any confusion of the situation to Senator Grayshade. Leia hears that name. He's the wheel administrator? Han, I know him from my Senate days. He's utterly corrupt, contemptible, and obviously my kind of guy. So Han decides that this is a good event. However, he's not too happy when the security guards take charge of them both and separate them, leading Leia off out of the room, but leading Han back to his ship so they can search it and see what they find there. While that search is being conducted, there is another fugitive from the Millennium Falcon unaccounted for. We have not yet discussed Chewbacca. He is a Wookiee, and he has had more success than any of his friends at eluding the stormtroopers. We get lots of really cool panels of, of, of this huge hulking barrel of a Wookiee, this gorilla guy. And I know I've commented before on the art styles. I'm just going to leave that alone now, but he's like hiding in the rafters and springing down from above behind stormtroopers, evading capture. I have to think though, that if this Wookiee jumped down from rafters to the ground, there'd be like a really large thud and possibly some damage to the floor plating. Just guessing I could be wrong. Maybe he's all like, perfect at cushioning his fall i have no idea anyways he does make his way through the turbo shafts they don't call them turbo shafts in this that's a star trek term but he makes his way to the upper level of the wheel now his job given to him by han solo last issue was to take the body of the man they found in space but um seeing no hints of a dead body and no mention of it so far in the narration. So I'm not entirely sure what happened to that guy. I'm also not entirely sure what Han wanted Chewbacca to do with it. 
besides dump it out of an airlock or eat it? I don't know. Do Wookiees eat people? It's mm, a good question. I'd rather not find out personally, but you know, we'll see what happens. Whatever he did with the body, Han Solo told him to meet them at the Crimson Casino, and the Crimson Casino is where he is on the upper level. However, Casino Security realized that he did not scan properly, he hasn't paid his registration fee, and so they're going to give him some hassles. Um, do you know what Wookiees do with hassles? They punch them in the face, and that's what happens. We get a woof. Whenever the guy grabs his shoulder and then a roar as he whacks the guy in the torso. Anyone may make a recommendation to a Wookiee. The difficulty, of course, is getting him to go along with it. However, once he gets rid of the man with the blaster, he has left himself open to another bruiser of a security guy who lands a haymaker on Chewie. As people bet on the outcomes of the fight in the background, the Wookiee does manage to win his fight, but then is blasted in the back by the same green-garbed wheel security team that we saw earlier. Not to say this is the same people exactly, but, you know, it's the wheel security team. They have taken down Chewbacca. They load him onto a mobile sled and carry him away. Some of the aliens are muttering, Did you see that? It took a maximum stun charge to bring him down. I've heard of Wookiees, but never seen one. What a specimen for the big game. Big game, huh? Does not sound good. The furhead will find he's boarded the wheel for the ultimate gamble when he wakes up in the gladiator pits. Oh, gladiator badness. You know, I was just reading a story about the Hulk to my son, Keenan, who now gets two mentions in this episode. And the Hulk was also enslaved for a gladiator fight in issue five of his comic. Not a happy way to live. Nope, nope, not at all. We get a brief panel of Han Solo being forced to cooperate in the searching of his own ship before we go to Leia in the presence of Senator Greyshade. Leia is monitoring the search of the Millennium Falcon from Greyshade's office and has overheard talk of hijacked profits from the wheel. However, she knows more than Greyshade does, and so she decides to fill him in on what's going on here. And here's her reasoning. The Empire's never dared interfere with the wheel for fear of ruining its popularity and value as a source of taxes. But if it appears to have become a target of the Rebel Alliance, they can justify a complete takeover in the guise of offering protection, and everyone will accept it. Because remember, the entire thing last episode was that the Empire was trying to make it look like the Rebels had stolen money from the wheel. I personally think that Leia has the right of it. And we're going to assume that she does, because that's an easy storytelling shorthand they're probably using to full effect here. At this point, Commander Strom enters the room with a blaster in hand, accusing Greyshade of having a rebel leader at his side. Greyshade calls on Master Com to disarm the commander, which he does. But then Greyshade and Strom go into another room to talk by themselves, where Greyshade says, You know what, Strom? Go ahead. Take over the wheel. You know what? I'll even help you do it. The only thing I want in payment is Princess Leia Organa. Because you see this old man with the silver hair and a mustache that could be twirled if he wanted to twirl it. He has the hots for the little teenage princess. You know what? There's probably something wrong there. But we're not going to talk about that much because, you know, that's a topic for another day. 
We then catch up with Luke Skywalker, who's at the hospital being looked at by a nurse with the two droids, 3PO and R2, outside of his room. R2-D2, hurry with those repairs. If anyone even suspects we tampered with communications to authorize Master Luke's hospitalization, I'm afraid... (whistles) Fuss budget? Why, you misprogrammed sludge container. But at that point, C-3PO's beratements of R2-D2 were interrupted by Wheel Security, who, under Blaster Point, escort R2 and 3PO to storage, where they are now Wheel Property. Wheel Property? Surely there's been an error, sir. Then someone named Han Solo made it. You've just been pawned to give him a gambling stake. The last time we saw Han Solo, he was helping search his own ship. Now I guess he's finished with that and he's going to go play some games. What he doesn't know is that his Wookiee friend Chewbacca is being tortured in a gladiator pit. Looks like a pain sticks they're stabbing him with. That's it, keep him at bay. You're on the wheel illegally and you've run up a lot of fines and damages. Well, this is payoff time. You can volunteer for gladiator service in the big game with a chance at a fortune if you're a winner, or you can be dumped on a waiting empire prison ship. Destination, the Spice Mines of Kessel. Actually, it's miswritten here as the Spine Mines of Kessel. But you know what? I just want to say that I like how they're treating Chewbacca as a person. I mean, yes, they've enslaved him. They're going to put him in the gladiator pits because he's a big old muscle. But they're talking to him. They're giving him an option. They're treating him like any other humanoid prisoner would be treated. I think under a different writer's hand, maybe if you want to say a lesser writer's hand, the you could have everyone just treating Chewbacca as a beast of a Wookiee when he's really not. So I like the way they're doing it here. We then finally see Han Solo. He is at a game and his inner monologue catches us up. He's off the hook on the piracy charges, but he owes a lot of money if he wants to stay on board. Chewie's missing, Luke's hospitalized, Leia's being held by the Wheel Administration. The only thing he could do was put the droids in Hawk and pray he could run up a big enough stake to bail them all out. However, he has actually ended up using just about all the money he got for that. He asks for a credit line, he is denied, but... Though your credit is exhausted, it is still possible for you to gamble. And what do I use for stakes, cashier? Why, your life, sir. See for yourself. And there's a poster. The ultimate gamble. High risk, high reward. Be a gladiator in the big game. And there's a picture of two alien, you know, Hulksters fighting each other out. And Han Solo stares long and hard and... In an act of cold desperation, registers himself. Congratulations, Corellian. You're a gladiator. This information is swiftly relayed to Senator Grayshade. This information is swiftly relayed to Senator Grayshade. And now we arrange for our smuggler captain to lose the big game, just as certainly as we made him lose the others. So Han Solo's stroke of bad luck was the manipulations of the house. Of course, that's never happened in a gambling establishment before. Of course not. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Han Solo is registered as a gladiator. Chewbacca is registered as a gladiator. Do you think it's possible that we might see Han Solo and Chewie forced to fight one another in the big games? I do think it's possible, even likely, as we look at the title of the next issue, is Death Game. So yes, um, lots of excitement, lots of intrigue and suspense being built up here. Uh, rather enjoying this story. Next episode, 
is episode 24, where I'll be looking at the next issue of Marvel Comics and the next issue of Pizzazz that were published in November of 1978. However, the big episode 25 is my coverage of another Star Wars item that was produced and released in November of 1978. And that is the Star Wars Holiday Special. Yes, indeed. I am having a friend join me to take a look at the Star Wars Holiday Special. It's been a while since I've seen it, but we're going to be doing an in-film commentary on the show, just like we did with Star Wars. Um, if you've never seen this, I don't recommend watching it before the commentary because... You might not be able to bring yourself to watch it again with the commentary. So just just putting that out there, not trying to slant your feelings ahead of time. But the Star Wars Holiday Special does have a bit of a reputation that I think precedes anything you're going to hear from me. So that is two episodes from now. Next episode is business as usual with the Marvel Star Wars comics. And big episode 25 will be the commentary. And I hope you're here to listen. Thank you very much for listening. If you want to send emails, I'll read emails on the air and special email episodes. You can send those to the Star Wars Saga Cast at gmail.com. If you just happen across this episode somewhere randomly, more episodes will be found at the Star Wars Sagacast.com or on iTunes under the Star Wars Saga Cast. So thank you very much for listening, and until next time, my name is John Wilson. Thank you very much for listening to the Star Wars Saga Cast, and good night.